I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, welcome back to the Out of Spec podcast. I am, of course, joined by Kyle Connor. I am Jordan Schieffer, and we have our good friend here, Calvin Kim, who we are so excited to talk to. He's been in the industry for a long time, even back to what, Road and Track? Is that where you started or where you made a lot of your career? Uh, <laughs> it's, it goes back to 1999, actually. Nice. Um, I originally started on the motorcycle side of the business, uh, testing motorcycles, reviewing them, broke enough, broke enough bones. And uh, went to the went to the more passively stable option, which is cars. <laughs> Switched over to cars, and yeah, it's been been there ever since. Wow, yeah, broken bones. Uh, I've been lucky enough to not break anything, um, but I don't currently own a bike either. I've gone through three of them. And I keep going back and forth. I'm like, I want a bike, and then I'm like, I see how other people drive, and then I'm like, I don't know if I want a bike. <laughs> that's that's always the case. I mean. I, you know, when I lived in Southern California, having a motorcycle made a lot of sense because you can lane split. And by and large, Los Angeles, like Angelino drivers are aware and they operate pretty well with motorcyclists. Uh, it is not like that anywhere else. So <laughs> now I'm in Atlanta. I'm probably, I want a bike, but it's probably not going to happen <laughs> for that same reason. Yeah, well, I think it's also important for our audience to know, like, Calvin, you weren't just, like, on the automotive side. You were doing the actual road testing. Here's time. <laughs> you were doing the actual road testing for yeah. Road and Track, then went to Porsche mm -hmm. and did PR for what exactly? I don't actually even know. Uh, well, I mean, I did basically what my current job is, which is just a product spokesperson. Um, uh, you know, I was a – we don't – at Porsche, we don't really – really segmentized too much um you know the other people on our staff and so we have broad strokes and we have to be pretty familiar with every every product anyway um, but back then i was the only 
spokesperson, so I had to know everything. And, you know, that got me into some pretty cool positions to be able to launch, you know, 918 Spider and the Macan here in the States, uh, start the PHEV journey for Porsche as well. So pretty, pretty cool opportunities. But why did you leave to go back to the road testing side? Because then you went to Edmonds and then back to Porsche. So like you hopped around, but we see this a lot from, I would say really well, hugely knowledgeable people in our industry where they go media, then to OEs, then back. Why did you do that? For me, it's pretty simple. Just, I wanted to learn more about our industry. Um, When I was at Road and Track, I was more on, I was definitely more on the road test side. I mean, I, I got to write articles. I got to go on press launches, interview people, talk to people, really learn a certain side of the business. Um, and then going to Porsche really kind of improved upon that because now I can really narrow focus with one brand with a very limited product line. But I definitely could tell that my knowledge base and other aspects of the automotive world was very lacking. Like, you know, I'm an auto enthusiast. You guys are too how we live and breathe this stuff is very, 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 very different than say my mom or my sister or our families um, that just go to a dealer or have a guy or a gal or whatever to buy cars from and, and getting cars that way, how they get into the sales funnel, go down the sales funnel, what makes them tick as, as, as far as making purchase decisions, how they justify purchase, purchase decisions. Um, I don't think it's a surprise people that buy Porsches that track is very different than someone that buys a, a regular car, something you know less than seventy thousand, eighty thousand dollars MSRP, and I had no idea what that looked like. Um, going to Edmonds, yes, I got to test cars again, um, but I got to look at car industry very differently. Not so much from, from an emotional perspective, but from a very matter of fact, very consumer oriented perspective, and that I learned a lot. And I actually consider Edmonds kind of like my MBA in automotive because I. I probably, I, you know, I learned a lot in the, in the roughly three years I was there while I was testing cars. I got to talk to a lot of the people on data and analytics and understood what that buying journey looked like and how somebody, you know, that was interested in buying a car would jump around and try to use logic and rational purchase decision metrics that they get from media to justify a purely emotional purchase, which never works. And then, that information that gets fed back to the OEM as a reason why they bought the car. So basically justifying an emotional purchase with logic. And so then product planners get bad data and then it, then they make bad, you know, and then that cycle just keeps being uh, self-fulfilled, you know? And obviously you're, you're with Porsche, you're spokesperson for Tycon. I don't think we ever said your role, but basically you <laughs> represent the Tycon. Um, what, okay, so like a normal person goes and they're cross shopping. I don't know, CRV, RAV4 is the example everyone uses, uh, you know, Mazda CX5, all pretty much the same metrics on paper. Which one looks the best to you? Which one has the closest dealer? That's where you go. But when you're buying a Porsche and like even like a 911 where there's a million and a half variants of that one car, what, how is that customer thinking differently than someone just going in and buying a, you know, again, CX-5 or something like that. I, I don't want to generalize because we have a very, we have just as wide of a swath. In fact, if anything, I think I think we have a, a wider swath of buyers than regular, a quote unquote regular car, uh, car brand. Um, because there are people that to them, a 911 is no different than uh, my mom's previous car, Toyota Camry. It's just transportation. 
They just need something reliable to get them from point A to point B. They make a certain amount of money. There's a certain amount of social status, whatever. Uh, and, you know, uh, yeah, I heard 9-11s are pretty good. I'm just going to get a 9-11. And that's what they do. Um, but then there are people that scrimp and save and, uh, ha you know, pour over brochures and watch reviews. And, you know, three years later, uh, after they make make up their mind, they walk into the dealership and put a down payment on a 9-11 and, and, and they like feel like they made it. Oh, I, I got my I got my thing. I got the thing. Um, and so where do you go from there? Right. Like I've seen both types of customers and uh, all all points in between. and They're all valid. Um, I know that definitely the reason why those people there are people that scrimp and save is because they see the experiences that that some of the more more affluent have with their cars and uh, in fulfillment and emotional fulfillment, because there's no doubt about it that a Porsche is an emotional purchase. No one, you know, no one needs a Porsche. They, they buy one because they want it. And I think everyone in the company is aware of that. And that helps drive our uh, marketing, our, our the way we think about cars, how we sell them and distribute them as well. So what maybe some of our viewers don't know on the back end is we, you know, when the three of us get together and we go out for drinks or whatever, we nerd out yeah. about stuff. And like, that's really fun for the three of us to <laughs> nerd out about thermal management systems and 800 volt versus 400 volt and CCS communications with chargers. But obviously, so, I mean, you have a really tough job because you launched the first battery electric vehicle for Porsche in our market, which arguably I would say has a very low bar of understanding of battery electric vehicles outside of Tesla. It was you want a nice electric car, you buy a Model S or X or 3 or whatever it is. And so what was that like launching Taycan in such a Tesla-heavy market, but also just a market with, like, you're coming in as Porsche, your combustion manual transmission, you know, holding on to every last, you know, enthusiast dream, now making an electric car. There's so many things against you. What was that like? I mean, I'll say right off the bat, it was fun. I mean, I love challenges. I love the fight. I love... Um, kind of that idea that uh, you get a clean sheet. We, we got a clean sheet of paper. I mean, in a weird sort of way, the Taycan is like literally the most opposite 911 you could imagine because every other product that we've launched since the 911 has some derivation, some emotional connection somehow. But with the Taycan, clean sheet, like we had to start from scratch. This is, you know, I remember talking to a early depositor, an older gentleman up in Malibu, and he was super excited about the Taycan and he did not fit what I would consider the archetype of the Taycan depositor. And I was like, well, why, what made you get this car? And his words were, I remember, I remember when the 911 launched, I didn't buy one of the, one of them. And I kicked myself every day for not doing that. I'm not missing that again. I'm like, Whoa, that was a very connective moment for me where I used to think just like that, meaning the Taycan's a separate thing, separate entity. How are you going to do this? And when I, after literally, it was like a 45 second conversation with this guy. Um, nope, this is a Porsche at the end of the day. And we have to kind of reevaluate what, uh, what that means. I mean, what, what is, what is the Taycan if not a Porsche? And so reframing the, equa the equation, finding out its strengths and weaknesses from that perspective, not as an EV, but from a Porsche, and then ap approaching media with that strategy and going hard on that. And so, you know, to your point, I mean, there were a lot of myths or, or misinformation. I don't want to say misinformation because there just isn't a lot of information. 
And so people would grasp at straws with whatever they experienced. And, you know, to their credit, Tesla's, they're the first mover, right? They're the, they're the big, they're the big fish in the pond. And so, you know, for a lot of people, when they thought of EV, whatever Tesla did was the way it should be done. And, you know, we're, again, we make the most successful rear engine sports car in the, in the market. We also have, I think the most popular mid engine sports car, um, one of the best compact crossovers, uh, the fastest SUV, uh, all these things, these contradictions of words that people wouldn't attribute. And so why why wouldn't we approach EV in our own way, in our own unique way, right? Yeah, it is the most Porsche of EV. I mean, by far, obviously, because it's got a Porsche bag, but, but like even just from the ordering process now, especially, and even outside of our market where you can get Sport Turismo and everything, it's like, okay, you have three body styles for every drivetrain type. And then within that, you can be like, okay, we have 9,000 exterior colors or whatever it is with paint to sample. And you can really dial the car exactly as you want it, which is extremely Porsche. And you can go to the cars and coffee and talk about your deviated stitching color, if that's what you're into. Or you can just go, give me just the performance stuff and take your EV to the track day and still do really well. So it's a car that can do, in my opinion, the daily driver stuff, the fun stuff, and still kind of fit in at cars and coffee. I mean, Jordan, we have this group, Facebook group in Colorado called Colorado Cars and Coffee, right? But the, it's a, everyone always car spots. And there's one guy, your friend Logan, bought a Cross Turismo 4. It's purple. And yes. everyone posts pictures of his car, all yeah. of just spotting him around Colorado. And it's so unique. It was, it was black. And then he wrapped it, including the cladding, gloss, deep, deep purple. And it looks stunning. We need to get some... So we need to shoot that car. Yeah, we're going to make a video <laughs> with his car. He's got to bring it up here. And, but yeah, everyone, you know, it, Tycon's been out for a decent bit now, but there's still, I mean, when I had the white one driving around, I still had, I was, you know, it was a base four more or less. And people were leaning out of their car to get photos. And video. <laughs> that was like the worst spec one too, because <laughs> it had the little Russian wheels on it, <laughs> but it was, it was cool. But yeah, people, people still have the stigma of not, truly knowing what it is or understanding it and then they're like wait it's electric and even you know my brother talked about it, tesla i mean even five years ago people were like so it's hybrid that's what you mean right yeah. no it's battery electric and there's a lot that goes into it it's not just simply taking someone out of a gas car putting them in electric um actually my friend who just left tesla bought a gas car for the first time in six years to have alongside his Whoa, tesla and really? he he was like he just wanted a Fiat or a Bart one two four Spider. Oh. He's like, this is a midlife crisis, sure. And he went to the gas station. He's like, I don't remember what to do. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> the opposite of most everyone else in the industry right now who get an electric car and they're like, okay, I charge. And Kyle, I've been on the phone or I've been with you when your dad is called asking for clarification on Electri America and what do I do with this charger is not working. And there's so much of this learning curve that will eventually become second nature. But right now, people don't understand that there's a charging curve. And like, why does it matter what percentage it charges and at what speed? It's They just and think... Well, for some it cars, it doesn't matter. If you just have a big e-tron, for example, you just roll up 150 kilowatts till it's basically full and, yeah. and leave, and that's fine. But I think, Calvin, we were in Los Angeles and we were talking to some people and you brought up an interesting point, which is, okay, you're into cars or whatever. I don't remember who you were talking to. If it's like zero degrees outside and you roll up to a charging station, 
is your car going to charge slower or faster? And like, they had no idea. So this is also an interesting thing. And, and actually the heart of the conversation I wanted to have with you, which is you're responsible for telling the story of Tycon. Essentially when you boil down uh, your job, I would, would present it this way, I think. Um, and you tell your story a lot through media, of course, because they have indiv individualized outlets that target different groups that you're trying to target with your brand and et cetera. So how do you tell the story of a very complex car that you can get very in-depth with that most people won't, but also highlighting some of the things it can do? Um, this is a tough thing for you because you have to explain the car and you have to have whoever's reviewing it or whatever explain the car, but but not fully understand it, if you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, it's you got to break it down into slices that are digestible and, you know, Still to this day, we still don't have the all-encompassing Tycon review, if you will, um, where you break down every aspect of the car. And I don't know if that's on purpose from my side, but I know it definitely that's not what I'm pushing for. Um, I'm definitely pushing more for uh, ha having digestible amounts of data that a presenter or media or a journalist can explain really, really well. And the idea here is at the end of the year, You'll have a hundred different pieces of media that if you squish them all together would be the Tycon. And that's the Tycon for 2019, Tycon for 2020, Tycon for 2021. And now we're just getting cracking on 2022. Um, you know, 2021 definitely was the time of extremes. Uh, we'd set the indoor land speed record. Um, we did a lap record at Road Atlanta. We went overlanding. Uh, so just very much the A to the Z side of things. Uh, without really do, much due regard for the uh, middle, like the like the details. But I think the I think everyone's ready for that. I think you guys are definitely there. Are, well, you're hungry for that. You probably already know all this stuff anyway. So talking to you about this wouldn't be very fruitful. But there are a lot of outlets out there, a lot of media influencers, call you what you will, that want to tell the story not just of Tycoon, but for cars. Period. But they don't have that last little bit of polish to really benefit. Uh, potential customers, enthusiasts, uh, other people that look at their look and follow them, right? And so for me, it's like, what are the pain points that EVs have, what, specifically the Tycon? But honestly, a lot of the Tycon pain points are universal to a lot of EVs. How they charge the infrastructure, because I mean, we've talked about this too. You could have as much range as you want. You could have as much gimmicks and gadgets and stuff. But at the end, at, at the end of the day, you get it to get into the car put it in drive or whatever, go someplace, charge it, and then go more, some more. And as long as it can do those things, you've got a good car, right? And as yeah, long but as it's amazing how many cars can't just yeah. do that. Yes, yes. <laughs> because it's at the point now where when we're, when we're talking about electric cars, it's not like a combustion vehicle, which is this one is zero to 60 in this time. This one costs this much. This one has this seat massager. It has this USB port there. With electric cars today, it's can you physically actually get your car to places? And it's, then it's, it's it's the bare minimum. To me, I look at it. I guess it makes a lot of sense for me because I'm I'm on this side, and we also have a GT3. We talk about GT3s, Cayenne Turbo GTs, setting Nurburgring lap records. You and I know most of the buyers that buy those cars can't do that. Yeah, Likewise. it's also kind of cool to buy the thing that was like, by the way, my Cayenne Turbo Coupe has a carbon fiber roof and just ripped a seven at the Nurburgring, whatever exactly. the number was. Yeah. And I think EVs are going to get that way too. Well, they are that way right now. 
for example, the experience, you know, the thing that I hear most about is, um, oh, so-and-so will, you know, a, a, a customer or somebody, um, a, just a viewer will look at video of you doing a charging, some charging event, and it'll be a killer charging curve. And yeah, you're explaining, oh, this is how, how it goes. And then I'll get the complaint. When I did it myself, it didn't do that. Well, much the same way that the, you know, Lars Kern driving the GT3 and Kyle Connor charging any car, real, you know, there's a certain <laughs> skill set to doing those things. Right. And me as Calvin Kim or that other guy with the with the Tycon, when we go to a charging station, we might not get that same result. It's not because of anything that you did or didn't do. It's just there are a lot of variables. And if you know what those variables are and you can mitigate them and manage them, that's how you get the best performance, whether it's a lap lap record or a charging session. Right, but the car can also help. Similar yes. to like ESP in emergency situations or spinning out, the Tycon, like for example, has this really cool route planner that by the way, no one knows about and no one, and we really should, next time we have a Tycon, I'm doing a whole thing on route planner yep. because it's insane. You can tell the car you want to arrive at a charging station with 3%. Exactly. And it will get you there at 3% the, as long as you drive. That, that number was originally much higher. And then really? people, yep, people complain, people that know how to drive the car complained and said, no, 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 no. We want this. If, can we make this 0%? Right. Because yeah. they want to be able to pull a Kyle Connor. Um, and rush into a charger at one zero percent because, you know, again, it's about area under the curve. And again, this is all stuff that we all know intrinsically. But once you get an EV and you start playing with it, it starts to make sense, um, you know, and why range is what it is and charging performance is what it is. Stack up the decks in your favor as much as you can. Use the use the charging planner. Uh, don't be afraid to drive the car aggressively. And by aggressively, I don't mean illegally, but just don't you don't need to hypermile you don't need to go 20 under the speed limit um you know you 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 can take liberties when you see a nice off ramp or on ramp um to keep the battery temperature up and help out the preconditioning system um, yeah so i mean there there are so many things to think about with an electric car though and tycon really excels in in few key areas first off by far the best charging electric car in the market yeah. it may not any longer have the highest peak charging rate but it has the most area under the curve, right. which is the most like your average kilowatt hours added within a certain period of time is going to be higher than anyone. I haven't actually run the numbers, but I think that's true. And yeah. so it nears makes no difference. The, the big question though, is when Tycon launched, and I think the story today is different than it was even a year ago, a lot of the media driving cars generally uh, this was the first time they've really spent time with a performance electric car. You know, you guys know this, but Tesla doesn't give out loans to regular journalists. Occasionally they will um, for certain people, but, but most are not just arriving in rotation and they're not in and out of these, you know, long range, fast charging EVs. So for a lot of people, the Taycan was the eye opener. It was the experience that like, oh, electric cars don't have to charge at 50 kilowatts like a bolt. They can handle really well and they can be stupid fast. Right. But they also didn't really understand how to maximize the car. So I think, you know, you had a lot of really good press on Tycon when it first launched, of course, but I don't 
think many of the people knew why they were saying such great things about the car, or at least, you know, drove really nice, of course, but the it's, deeper meaning. There, but I would say in the last 12 months, mm. especially in the last six months, we've seen a ton of new EV launches. I would say a whole new wave of knowledge in the media world. And so how are you going to capitalize on that now that people get it? Well, because now it's getting back to what we're good at, which is the details. So going into the nitty 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 gritty, um, I mean, uh, right before you joined, you know, well, actually with you too, we were talking about 9-11s and how the tremendous variety of 9-11s and each one of those 9-11s targets a very specific type of customer. You know, we get a lot of grief from people, uh, from media in particular, for some unknown reason, complaining of all things that we have so many 9-11s. And it's like, well, why? You know, we, they're all very, very different cars. And in, in, in an ideal world, if you were this type of person, you would literally have all of them and you could find a different reason to drive each one of those variants. I know that's absolutely ridiculous, but that's the reality. You know, a regular standard model Carrera compared to a 911 Turbo S, totally different car, right? And I think now that people understand kind of the nuts and bolts of EVs, roughly, right? I'm no, you know, uh, experts still far and few between, I would say, but as at least being able to operate the car with some uh, confidence and I don't have to worry. I'm not awake 24 hours a day waiting for the phone call. What was it like when you first started doing these loans and people were like, Calvin, I want to take your Tycon on a trip or Calvin, I want to range test your car. What? I mean, range, range testing was an easy one because I mean, those, we only provided those cars to people that had good EV experience. So people that knew how to care and feed an EV. Because um, at that time, we weren't, we weren't ready to talk about like, you know, charging curves and stuff like that. Right. This um, was early days. This was mm -hmm. like Tom doing the initial range test yep. or Dan Edmonds or some of these guys that really know yeah. their stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so that, you know, you know, there's a lot of nuance to the car. Like, you know, the car prefers to be the batteries to be warm. Um, it's okay that they're warmer than the, the normal thing. Um, I think another big one was uh, doing loans with media that had chargers at home. Uh, our, our information says more over 90%. So basic, basically all, because the error, the error is greater than the percentage, um, says that everyone has a home with a NEMA 1450 or something like that at home. So if a journalist didn't have a, the ability to charge at home immediately, I'm like, okay, we're going to find a different way to get you into the car. Either we'll bring you, bring you out to the office We'll do something at the at uh, the Experience Center in LA or, or Atlanta because that's not representative of an owner. And for for us, the first people that we have to serve are potential owners, so people that are actually in that sales funnel process. And what you don't want is a story to turn out to I couldn't figure out how to charge the Tycon, so don't buy it because exactly. everyone would have a yeah. way to charge it essentially. Yeah, and that's you know that experience is not representative of of the car and you know this applies to every ev brand or every brand that produces evs i would think um first order business is to make sure the car is placed in the environment in which you think the majority of your customers are going to also place it in yeah but this is not the case but as you know so <laughs> <laughs> but we don't need to go we're not going to talk about anyone else we don't need to go down there but what was your fear? What was the phone call? Cause you mentioned, you're like, I would stay up. And like, was it that a, a person would arrive to a charger and it wouldn't work? Or was it that they didn't understand a component of the car? It, um, 
what, it what was scary? It, it changed through the through this through the months that progressed. Um, originally, it was is the car going to hold up okay? Um, then it was, uh, will they be able to charge at home? And then it switched to, do they know how to use the basic level software on the car? So the early days of charging planner. Um, then I think at that point it switched over to performance because at, at at that point people were kind of comfortable with the Taycan. So then it was more about, hey, is this a Porsche? Is, yeah, is, because is, you've already proved it smokes EPA. First yeah. off, I don't know if you can confirm this or not, but remember the original EPA numbers range was done on the big wheels and acceleration was done on the arrow wheels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we always do worst. Thing. Yeah, we always do worst case scenario. But what is that changing now? Uh, yeah. So as we get more data, uh, sales data, we adjust the, the the numbers ever so slightly. I don't think we're going to do that until who knows sometime in the future. Um, if you know Porsche product cycle, you should know what's coming up in about, I don't know, maybe. Yeah. And then you'll just recertify the cars mm -hmm. when that thing happens. Mm -hmm. But so it's like, it's funny because at least, I don't know if it's on EPA, but at least in WLTP, the sport Turismo goes farther than the others, but it's not actually true. Right. The other ones have the new software on them. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly yeah. right. So you kind of have to, you know, we, uh, you know, in, in, in essence, don't worry, Kyle, you'll still be doing range tests of Tycons well into this year. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think you and I both agree the range story has been played out. Like the car yeah, goes I mean, as far as you need. Like, why for, are we for, even doing these? For me, I mean, I don't. I, in a weird sort of way, I'm I'm probably the absolute best person to to be the spokesperson for this car because none of my personal cars, all my personal cars, have about the same amount of range anyway. <laughs> so I'm like yeah. mentally set up for that, and I don't. I just I don't. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's not so much about the range; it's about charging performance. Totally agree, and this is something that I think there is going to be a fundamental V-shape split curve. Are you a charging guy or are you a range guy? Mm -hmm. And it's going to be: Do you need five, six hundred miles, seven hundred plus miles on some of this, like this Model S with this aftermarket battery thing? Like, do you need that much range to just hammer down and get to? your you know new york to miami with one stop if you're insane or mm -hmm. is it give me the lightest possible car with the least amount of resources that i kind of don't want to haul around all the time right. and then give me the fastest freaking charging ever and i'll just pull in rip and get back on the road because 99 percent of my driving is a two and a half mile commute from my house to the office exactly and i don't need a 200 kilowatt hour pack for that yeah i mean that's you know i we're a motorsports company so the analogies are all there, you know, I mean, if, if you're going out for a qualifying session and you're only going to do three laps, do you fill up your tank? Like, right. No, you just get just enough fuel to get yeah. through that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, same with the race, same with the, you know, and much the, the analogy of just getting enough to the charger next charger is very similar to driving just enough to get to the next pit stop, you know, and that's, that's the idea that I think Porsche really gloms onto. Cause at the end of the day, we are a motorsports company. All the engineers that worked on this car, you know, that's what they lust after is to go to the track, um, you know, be part of motorsports. Uh, that's why they joined this company. And what I think is interesting, though, is Porsche is much more than just a motorsports company. Obviously, that's how everyone knows them. Right. But with Taycan, and I think more people are aware, maybe just in my little bubble, but that there's Porsche engineering, there's Porsche mm -hmm. design, there's mm -hmm. Porsche cars. And so 
within, you know, so you're under Volkswagen Group, but you really operate as your own independent, kind of separate from everyone. Um, and now there's so much um, uh, work in sort of sustainability and decarbonization with yeah. e-fuels that Porsche is working on. Do you think Taycan has opened up the world to the other projects Porsche is working on? Because it's not new. They've always, you guys have always been doing interesting things with other. Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, from my perspective, it's like you gotta, you know, I know this isn't the 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 correct, the on-brand messaging, and I've used it before and people kind of make chagrin, but at the end of the day, we're kind of what I mentioned just, just earlier is we're a bunch of sports car nerds and we like driving sports cars. And the best way to ensure the success of the sports car is to make sure cars are socially responsible and they pull their weight um, culturally, if you will. So, you know, they're not, they're not gross polluters. Um, they're not, they don't impact the environment any more than they absolutely need to. And, they, and whatever environmental impact they, they have, there's a way to uh, make up for that somewhere else down the, the chain. Um, the Taycan is very easy because you manufacture, you, you put a ton of carbon into this thing and that thing just stays the same um, until it's time to disassemble it and recycle all the components. In a combustion car, it's difficult because there's so many fluids and things that go in and out of the car and you, you can't control that. Um, and thankfully, from that perspective, that's opened a lot of people's eyes to, hey, wait a minute, we can do this. It is possible to have a car that kind of gets along with the rest of the environment um, and still be fun to drive, at least from our perspective, have it be fun to drive. Because, you know, uh, Ferry Porsche himself said the last car ever made, the last car that will ever be made will probably be a sports car. And that's kind of yeah, scary. That to I totally about. agree with. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to be in that generation where we see that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I hope that other brands approach sustainability, not from a lip service perspective, but from that selfish perspective of like, man, we want people to drive our cars. What do we need to do to make sure we can make cars and people can still enjoy them still, you know, uh, uh, just really think and, and deliberate which, Color uh, seat stitching should I get? Which power yeah, train? Passion for anything yeah. car related. Yeah. When I see anyone, it doesn't matter anymore if they're driving a Honda that's you know sparking down the road or whatever it is, or you see a guy in a right. yep. G wagon four by four. I don't care. I'm just like you're into cars. That's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Whatever subset of cars you're into, I'm in. Like that's that's just super neat. And we're since we moved to Colorado, we're exposed to a ton more. And, and Calvin, you're into overlanding. And so we actually took uh, your Lexus overlanding. We had the, we had two Tycons. Yep. Um, can we just talk about how crazy that was, by yeah. the way? Because essentially you said, okay, you work for Porsche, which makes sports cars. And let's go off-road our electric station wagons. <laughs> so what how did that how did that even get approved where you're like, I'm gonna take a few cars and a few people, we're gonna go shred them off-road? Or did I you mean, just not ask anyone? I, I mean you have to get the necessary permissions, but I don't know if people re understood what I was talking about when I said we're going <laughs> off-road. We I mean, went off-road. Yeah, like we were lifting wheels. It yeah. was cool. There's a spectrum, right? And uh, I mean, that's the thing is, I know that I know some of the engineers, some of the, some of the design people, um, the engineering team behind this car, and they're us. I mean, 
there is a direct uh, parallelism there they, with the passion that they have. And I saw, I knew kind of the level that they treated this car and I want to, and I wanted to kind of pay homage to them if I can use a fancy word, because in a weird sort of way, even I'm the spokesperson here for Porsche in America, but the way that I approach my job is I'm their spokesperson. I'm, I'm here to promote them, what they do. Um, and being able to see it from that perspective opens up the idea of how to present the car to the media, because, you know, yes, it's the cross trees and arguably this is the more pedestrian car. This is the one that more normal people will buy. The sedan is lower to the ground. It's, it's more dynamic, more emotive, as we would say. Um, but the cross trees, you know, it's got the hatch. You put a roof rack on it, take it to take it grocery store to the grocery store. It's more ground clearance. So you can deal with speed bumps when you go to parking garages, you know, I'm from LA and driving the cross trees in downtown LA is way more comfortable than driving this, driving the sedan. Yeah, you don't have to hit the lift every time. It yeah, just, you just sits higher. You just, you, you go, Oh, I got to turn left here. You, and you know, there's somebody coming, you know, you can just rush through and nothing's going to touch the ground. It's really nice. And, uh, but as pedestrian as that kind of stuff is, the passion of the people that did the did the calibration on that car are just the, just as valid on the sports car side of things, right? And so, why not show off a little bit, show off the capability? Um, it was such a cool thing because even though the car is, I mean, a lot of the things that help the car drive really well also help it off road: locking, exactly. rear diff, adjustable yeah. suspension. So, like, it kind of goes both ways. Yeah, and it was such a neat experience because. You know, on one hand, a lot of the trails that we did were dirt roads, stuff that you would normally yeah, normal do stuff. here in Colorado, you know, yep. and then occasionally we'd find an obstacle and be like, ah, oh, let's get all the pictures now. But um, it was really cool to like go buy Jeeps and they're like, what, what are you doing in this thing? I mean, that's the thing is it, the reality is, is uh, the, the the route for people that are listening was Ophir Pass to Last Dollar Road and Last Dollar Road's a real road. Like people do drive on that. And yeah, oh, it's nothing fancy. The, the houses on that road are square in the crosshairs of, of Cross Trismo. And why not? That was, you know, that's the reality, right? But Ophir Pass is kind of over here it's or over here i guess inverted on the webcam um it, it, and yeah it raises raises some eyebrows um but you know we have a history of doing that i mean what car has porsche entered in the Perry de car 911s 95 you know who takes a rear drive sports car uh off-road racing only cool people it makes <laughs> it makes people think and that's what i love i mean i that's, i gravitate to that with yeah. like the miata like i love going on crazy dirt roads because people a lot of people think sports car equals garage queen and i take it out on the perfect sunday as long as Man. water hasn't touched the road in the last three days and i'm like out here shredding in the ice and like i i i like making people raise eyebrows and question and like Look at me weird from their SUV that, that they have. Like, I have a friend who does the exact same thing as that, but the reverse. She it's my friend's mom drives a <laughs> Toyota Venza, does not come out even if it's misting. That thing, garage queen. It's a garage failed every week. So that, that's for that's for bring for bring a trailer in five years right. or something like that. That <laughs> thing is gonna be worth like a hundred grand to someone. But, but but to Jordan's point earlier, I mean, that's I noticed that in a lot of the feedback from from reader feedback on videos on articles, commenters would say, "Oh, who in the right mind would do this?" And 
for me, I'm like, man, enjoy the world. I mean, that's these cars are here for you to do that. Don't don't limit yourself already. Like, there's already so many things in the world that are limiting. Don't limit yourself by based on what the car, by what you think the car should do. That's the worst thing, right? I mean, let you should be the one that dictates the destiny of the car, not the other way around. And the car is a tool and it's more dynamic than people think. Some people yeah. will minimize it to one use case, but you can right. do even the exact same thing, like the GTS drive I did. Like we all did similar drives, but some people just, you know, focused on what things does the car have and take in the scenery and then i mobbed it and yeah. i was like we we both did similar things but like i was like what are the limits of the car and then because i wanted to also see at the end or not the end but you know at our charging stop i was like okay you just wanted to have a lower battery than everyone let's well, be honest well you're like heater on full <laughs> both, both seat heaters all yeah. climate yeah actually i i found it was funny talking to some of the other guys because some people you know people have mixed i i feel bad for i don't feel bad but it's just an interesting challenge with early ev adaptation because you have such a mixture of opinions some people are like do not give me any fake sound i don't want anything other than the car itself and other people are like give me the crazy eqs warble sound from like star <laughs> trek star noises, yeah. and it's like i so you know i tried turning on the the porsche experience sound and i was like how is this and it was like okay it's it's a bit much but i still like it better than the non-gts but then like windows down with the Porsche experience sound I was like that's the sweet spot because yeah. I can still hear the limit of grip mechanical grip in the tires but then I also have the sound exactly. and I also you know these were um, non-US cars so I didn't have route planning so I couldn't do the battery um, what do you call it yeah. the preconditioning so I was yeah. like I'll precondition it myself so I just <laughs> <laughs> and then it charged like a monster because that yeah. was you know that was the first time I had um, charged one from really low state of charge yeah, and I mean, was, I think you you got down to like seven percent or something like that. Five, yeah, five, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was pulling like two hundred and what seventy kilowatts. Yeah, two seventy like, all the way. Yeah, this is fantastic. And it's like, why do people stress about charging? But some people do. Some people yeah, stress about do. charging. Some people stress about range. And I mean, Kyle, the trip me and Kyle took in his Model Three to Vegas taught me like that was a worst case EV if you ask me <laughs> as far as experience because Kyle it has over a hundred thousand miles. We were doing a hundred miles between stops, give or take. And it was also slower chargers because right, they were older, all old, like version yeah. two shared 120 kilowatt capped, and so oh. there it's 60. So and we're I just like, and I still thought it was great because yeah. maybe, and I'm a specific person who like doesn't mind a charging stop because it's like, okay, now I can catch up on emails or whatever. So it's like, but no question, <laughs> any CCS car would smoke a Tesla through the Rocky Mountains. True. Yeah. Is that just because of the network? Yeah, because they have 350 kilowatt chargers every 100 miles. Yeah. And there's 60 kilowatt chargers, maybe 100 plus on a good day wow. with Tesla stuff. But that that can change and get updated and you know things like that. It's just where we live, it's actually really difficult. The network's hard for us because we're the last town before Wyoming. Yeah. And so there's not a single, sorry, excuse me. I think there's three CCS chargers in the entire state, two in Jackson, one in Cheyenne, which is a 24 kilowatt. So it's impossible to drive a CCS car up to Salt Lake City, up and over to Salt Lake City. I got to go all the way down to Denver, over the mountains and up to Salt Lake versus a Tesla, which I could just go there. So this is this is the hardest thing for me because, um, 
you know, it, it just takes time, but, but putting in infrastructure costs so much money and there's little ROI in putting that in the middle of wherever that is, Wyoming or Nebraska or stuff like that. So this is an interesting challenge that will come out, but it's a very unique one to us. Most people live on the coasts and have zero issue, less than zero issue, getting anywhere where they would need to go. I mean, the way the way that I, I agree with you, I mean, fundamentally, I, I I see a future where CCS network will get, you know, double the size. Oh, yeah, easily. Uh, but until it's like the chicken or the egg, the horse or the cart or whatever analogy you want to use, there's still such misinformation or lack of information, really, uh, uh, ignorance or naivete or whatever about EVs that needs to be remedied like a, a foundational amount of knowledge about evs needs to be available like i don't own a diesel i've never owned a diesel car but i know how to use a diesel like i know the limitations already you know the plug is the, the i call it a plug the nozzle on the pump <laughs> is different you got to go to a set a different pump you know what i mean you can't just go to any pump um it's a thicker oil it's not it doesn't come but you know so like that kind of stuff. And there needs to be enough buildup of like, just what do you call it? Like common knowledge about EVs? It's just like a basic, like they should teach this stuff in school these days. Yeah. And it's kind of funny you say that because my sister's kids, like they, to them, an EV is like a normal thing too. You know, they, really? I, I visit them. I'm in a Taycan, whatever. Oh, let's go uh, get McDonald's. I don't know. I'm just making it up and we'll yeah. go and show them how to charge. And it's like, oh yeah, this is normal. They're used to charging up their Nintendo Switch. Yep. They're used to charging up their phones. Their it's no iPad. different for yeah. the younger generation. And so we are actually partnering with our local school district. It turns out the guy who does something with the school district here in Fort Collins watches our videos and we're going to go get kids out to charging stations and charge cars, which is yeah. going to be so cool. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Field trips to Electrify America. That's yes. the thing is, uh, you know, Jordan, to your friend's credit, I mean, I... After being in a Taycan for a while, I'll go drive one of my gas cars. I'm like, oh, I got to go to a gas station. It seems like <laughs> why this is what people consider. This is the preference. People prefer this experience. Like that's what that's what's so crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, hard for me to get that, too, because we're always in and out of cars. We're testing a few a week. And so um, I've been driving. Actually, I've been driving my Tesla a lot more, which I hadn't driven all year, really. Yeah. And I've been commuting in it and I've been charging at work. And it is so nice. I've I been watching your, your, I've been watching you use your Model 3 as a snowplow. Yeah, yes. we got dumped on with snow uh, and it was the perfect opportunity because Nokian had sent some of those studded EV specific tires that. I just can't get this car stuck in. I mean, we were in definitely nowhere near touching the pavement, just fresh powder. And it was just trudging through. It was awesome. Uh, plus an electric car in the snow is so cool because you can slide around and no one knows what you're doing. Exactly. It's just a pure cheat code to fun, I would say. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but I think we've talked enough about Porsche and, and all that <laughs> stuff. But, but Calvin, you're a car enthusiast as yeah. well. And we only have another 15 minutes or so. So, can you tell us your new love of overlanding? Maybe it's not new, but like, how'd you get into it? What do you, what do you get? Cause we love overlanding. I mean, I've been, I don't, I hate calling myself. I hate pigeonholing. I don't like label. I'm not an off-road. I just like going off-road. Um, I, you know, back during the road and road and track days, I got to go on some press trips and I got to go do some uh, training programs with various manufacturers. And that really kind of tickled my fancy at that time, I was really into track driving. So doing, you know, time attack stuff and uh, HPDE with, with NASA out on the West Coast, 
and I found some mental similarities with off-roading that I did with going on the track. Um, and going off-roading was a, just a different experience. I, so I love both of it, right? Uh, I started with a, a Suzuki Sidekick from 1993. Really? Uh, That's yeah. right up Jordan's alley. Is a JX? <laughs> I call it the, the long wheelbase model because it's a four door. When everyone thinks, when anyone thinks about a sidekick, they think about the, the coupe, the two door. Uh, but this was a four door version and drove that. Had that with me all the way till 2016, actually. And then I, you know, realized this is a little bit too small. I need something bigger. And I was looking at GXs, actually. And uh, I, I transitioned. Uh, I couldn't find any G GXs. So I, LX, I was like, well, wait a minute, this thing exists and the prices were rock bottom. And I actually found a good one that was actually in your neck of the woods. Um, and I bought it and I haven't looked back since. I love that thing. And I mean, you, you wheel this thing, you've driven it across the country, like multiple times. Done, yeah. Yeah. Done a ton of trips with this thing. Yeah. Uh, but you also have an Evo, yep. which you got to explain the Evo thing because it is so cool. And so, I mean, it's got to be one of the hardest driven Evos, I would Yeah, think. I mean, I, I, you know, we, how do I do, how do I say this nicely? There's journalist privilege. Um, and back when I was at the magazine days, uh, the sanctioning race sanctioning organization let me get my race license so they had a exam process a testing process and the final if you will was a mock race and i got to take the test in my evo and so that car i've done autocrossing with and did, did a lot of track things with. so i was very confident in the mechanical capabilities of it but there's this moment i took a and again this is back in i don't know 2007 or 8 so back before you know when the video camera was 320 by 240 resolution, 12 frames a second or whatever. Um, and uh, so it was really, really janky. But I'm next to like a spec Miata, a D-type race car, a spec E30. And here's me. You can hear the seatbelt chime going on because I'm putting on my gloves. Ding. <laughs> it's just the most ridiculous thing. It's the, it's, it's the cold grid before we get on to the, to the hot grid to get, to get to practice starts. And uh, yeah, I mean... That car, it's a, it's an Evo 9 RS, so pretty, you know, not too common. It's I left it fairly stock. Uh, you know, my thing is, is it's like I consider it a mirror image of my soul. You know, it's a very flawed car in some ways, but yet very good in other ways. Um, I relate to it really well, and that's my forever car. I love that thing. Um, it makes me happy to drive, and it's a really good uh, uh, palette cleanser for front front steering. Uh, feedback um, steering feel. I I still think it's probably got one of the best uh, uh, response steering feedback uh, that loop on the market. Um, yeah, very very different cars. Got my Evo, got the LX, uh, but oddly they they tickle my fancy and just as well. What's going on with the wagon? Is it fixed? Uh, yes. So yep, I've got a Golf All Track SEL. I got it back a couple weeks ago um yeah oh, I mean, a couple weeks ago after like six months six months yeah parts availability uh it got a little fender bender and some of the trim pieces um i could have gotten the car sooner if i opted for uh repro re reproduction parts hmm. but it's a 2019 i'm like i'm not quite ready to go to repros just yet yeah, yeah, yeah and so i just i held out we don't you know i work from home so i didn't need the car right away 
So I wait, I held out and waited to get OEM stuff. But that's like the perfect three car solution. <laughs> you have the daily, put everything you want in there. You have your adventure vehicle and then let's head to track days. Right, right. That's and perfect. The, and you know, the Evo and the LX, I mean, I don't, it's the LX, it's hard to get 300 miles on a tank. Normally I get about 250 to 260. Same with the Evo. I mean, and you know that you know better than than most how that lines up with Tycon. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's just to me, and maybe I don't know. I, everyone knows I'm a Tycon fan. It's not because of anything you've done. You haven't paid us to like Tycon, <laughs> right? Like that doesn't happen. Um, it's just a really good car that I think meshes with like my split personality, which is like I have all the modes on the steering wheel, so I can go. I want maximum range and I can go into range mode and it slams itself down or like, Hey, I want to go on a dirt road or I want to drift it or rip up a track. And so the car just has this multi-character I mean, that yeah. fits really well with what I want from a car. It's, and yeah, I'm a Porsche guy at heart, but it's not really why I like the Taycan because it's a Porsche or not. It just is like, it, it can do so many things and has so many adjustability uh, in real time, and I it satisfies my need for not driving nine cars in one day. I'm right. I'm right there with you. Yeah, I'm it's like if you if you couldn't have a Lexus off roader and an Evo, a Taycan's a good like does both. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't do some of the trails I like to go on, but I could do a lot that I that I do go on. Right? It can yeah. do more than my Sprinter. I mean, <laughs> sprinters that can't go over a freaking speed bump sometimes. That's yep. funny. I forgot about the Suzuki sidekick because yeah, Calvin, we were just earlier podcasting this week on the normal show, and I was we were brainstorming two door, four wheel drive, older off road winter beaters for me, and that was the only one that didn't show up on the list. I mean, sidekick, sidekick is tough because it it's such a back to basics off roader. I mean, it's it doesn't have lockers. Mm -hmm. um, you've got a well, mine had the auto locking front diff. So if you put it in four low, it would engage some kind Wait, of was it, it was just a, a mechanical locking diff? Yeah, like a sprag clutch. Oh, interesting. Uh, uh, but other than that, it was open, but it was so light and so narrow. It really taught you how to like pick a line. And it was a manual transmission. So, you know, you're doing what you can to keep momentum and bounce around. and But not bounce around because... When you're bouncing, your tires are off the ground and you don't have grip. So you can't bounce. You have to just get right to that point where you're you're about to so that the wheels can get a little bit of like that half turn of moment inertia going. So that when weight gets put on it again, they help you get up. You know, right. Not to do what Timon did a few weeks ago, which was to <laughs> slam his GX into a rock. The steer it broke the power steering. The oh. steering wheel was like this for the rest of the day. Now oh yeah, yeah. I saw I saw your video on that. <laughs> it was so aggressive. But which is funny because my steering uh, power steering reservoir, uh, or it's not the reservoir itself, but the hose that goes yeah, right up. Yeah, it's Timon's hose that went. Mine started leaking too, so I yep. just ordered some parts. So yep. I'll be doing that this weekend, hopefully. That's <laughs> when do your parts get here? Oh, he hasn't ordered them yet. Okay, uh -oh. <laughs> it's, he's driving it around muscle man style. He's always oh. like, "Hey, Kyle, can I borrow the smart car?" And when you know he asked to borrow the smart car, something's bad. <laughs> the good thing is, I don't think the GX has the, the so the LX has this thing called VGRS, which is variable gear ratio steering. Mm. I don't think the GX has that. No, his does not. So all the Lexus LX guys are very paranoid about that failing because yeah. it's something different than the regular Land Cruiser. But I didn't you know, realize they had that. That was in the 100 series. Yeah. Wonder Series is, I mean, 
this is this is going to sound weird, but for what an SUV is kind of like the ideal log of what an SUV is supposed to do, that that LX I think is was probably the best SUV until this current generation Mercedes GLS. The so, new GLS is so good. Yeah, that was the first car that I drove that I went, wow, this might actually be better than a 100 series. LX. I'd love to see one overlanded out with like some stuff and I don't know. They have a huge suspension adjustment on that. Yeah. And before I know I've said this and people have wanted to punch me in the face. What I mean is being able to leave your house at any time of the day, go over the speed limit at a high rate of speed, very comfortably listening to classical music, jazz while sipping on a cappuccino. This is what Calvin does. This is what I do. (laughs) You You get to your destination and then you are going up or going down imaging pass. You're doing yeah. uh, the Alpine loop, the full Alpine loop. You're doing Black Bear. You're doing those kinds of things. The same car. All you do is air down and you and you hit it. Not many cars can do accomplish both. They can go on the highway, sure. Are you comfortable? Yeah, but Calvin, not. you're forgetting one major thing here. What's the, that? The GLS bounces. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. You just hit a button and it is the coolest thing. It's got the bounce. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I'll give it that, but you know, I'm, I guess I'm old school in a way where like you, you want good drive driver ship. What do you call that? Like driver's, I don't know. (laughs) Ability to control the vehicle where you want. Yeah. Yeah. Know know how to recover yourself, throw throw the traction boards down and know how to winch and know how to use recovery straps. We've been using a lot of traction boards this winter. We've been hitting the trails. (laughs) a lot in the snow and Good. and we've been out with some overlanding groups locally too and we've noticed like we actually had a major issue on the last overlanding trip we weren't involved but some guy um you know was, was rolling up behind two tacomas basically the guy in the second tacoma yeah. uh, went out to spot the first tacoma over an obstacle thought he put the vehicle in park it was not in park he gets out, it starts rolling away. Oh. And as he jumps in, he actually got squished between a tree oh, slamming no. the door on him and it slamming into the Tacoma in front. So it was like a multi-collision. He got squished. Oh. Thankfully, no like helicopter needed. I don't even know how we would have got them because we were in the middle of nowhere. So anyway, just like the thing is overlanding's really fun, but when you're with a group and different levels of skill and you know everyone is going to make a mistake from time to time, you just like safety I, is the most it, important. That's thing. it. That's all you've got. That's all yep. you got. And like for me, I, uh, it reminds me of like, uh, like flying a plane or something where you just have checklists and you ve- you just have to be very methodical. And when I go uh, off-roading with people, like some people look at me as like the old fuddy-duddy, but Hey, if you're out by yourself somewhere, yeah, have your you, spot with you, have your stuff. Yeah, yeah you got it. You got to. And I, that's what intrigues me about it is that self sufficiency. Just being it's kind of fun own. though, yeah. isn't it? Just carrying everything you need, yep. having every backup solution. And it's like, I don't know, I'm just into gear. So I like, yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. <laughs> and like, you I'm want right your Dometic you. freezer and yeah. like all this other cool stuff. I just love all that. Um, can we talk about the future of cars while we're sort of getting to the end here? Yeah. And that's going to be. You're, you're such in this niche world working for Porsche where, um, and, and we mentioned a little bit earlier, where the last car could be a sports car. And my personal viewpoint is of the combustion vehicles we'll see left on the planet soon, sooner rather than later, they will be gearing more towards manual transmission, naturally aspirated, high revving, you know, emotional, emotional devices. Cars. Yeah. 
and then we'll start to see everyday cars go electric. I mean, it's no secret Macan's going to be going electric at some point. Uh, you know, we have GM saying all these models coming, Ford's going fully electric with Lightning and Mach-E. So I think the everyday cars will be electric. But do you think we'll see this? Because even with Taycan, it's quite a heavy car. And I wouldn't really even call it like, it's not meant to be your track day special. It's a right. daily car that can do track stuff. Exactly. But exactly. will we see from any automaker this trend towards like not even just soul, but like enthusiast driving with electric. Yeah. I mean, they'll, I think there'll come a point where that'll happen. I mean, for me, that, that moment happened in the GTS I was running on, on when the program that Jordan was on, I was running chase in the sedan. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a moment where I was driving just, you know, Angel's Crest used to be in my backyard literally. And so I know that road really well. And I was mobbing. Same with you, Jordan. I had the window down. I had the electric sports sound on and like the car disappeared. Like I'm just, I'm just operating the vehicle at that point. Like I, I know the road, I know the car and that. What were you in well, a forest? Uh, no, Taycan GTS sedan. Oh, I haven't driven a GTS yet. So yeah. I don't know, but it just seems like the perfect. It, one it, it vibed. And all of a sudden, like, again, I am pro, I'm the flag waving Taycan guy, but I'm also very well aware of the emotional, connections the the heartstrings that ice pulls so i get that um driving that gts sedan on angela's crest running chase kind of put another heartstring on there with evs like it is possible to have that kind of an emotional connection with driving with the car with the route now it, it took me obviously since 2019 i've been driving them since 2019 but as they get better and better uh, I think that golf is going to get shorter and shorter because I'd argue there are people that probably drive 911s today that don't have an emotional connection with their car either. It just happens like something happens, right? Something you drive it under, under a certain condition or a certain place, certain road, certain time of day, whatever. Uh, I keep thinking of all these instances in my past where I've made those emotional connections. And for me, it was Angel's Crest on that day in that type of GTS sedan where it's like, I get it. I get it. This is possible. Well, and I talk think it was for both of you because Jordan had that moment too where he won't stop talking about that. That was the best drive of his life. I mean, talking to the engineers about what they did differently to the car. And again, I hate being the shill and talking about this, but we'll do this. By Porsche. <laughs> we, we will, I, it made me want to do a roundtable with some media that have experience with this because I think it's a story worth telling because – you know, with gas cars, we, we we just look at them as big hunks of metal, but there's so many individual parts that all these individual engineers play to make it. And they you can tell when you pick up a part, like were they having a good day? Were they having a bad day? Did their boss suck? Were they were they, were, were they just pushing them down, or did their boss give them tons of space to flourish? And the Taycan is one of those cars where the team got to flourish, like they got to do what they wanted to do to make that car happen. And maybe maybe it's probably because we didn't have a lot of prior history to lim to make those limitations. Um, and I want to tell that story. I want you to know that story so that you can tell people about that. Because at the end of the day, kind of what we hit on earlier, what's going to differentiate our car from any other EV? 
it's going to be those little details. Yeah. And that's, I wanted to mention that because we're in this early, I mean, it's not early per se. EVs have been around a while. We had John Volker on a previous show where he yeah. talked about the old days. But he talked yeah. about 1894. Yeah. That's when he was reviewing the last electric. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we're in this early, relatively speaking, stage where there are still journalists who, you know, when the, the, the bolt came out, they're like, wow, this thing just flies off the line. And it's like, because we're still in the, the honeymoon stage. Hey, don't of... knock the bolt. That thing shreds, actually. <laughs> okay. Yeah, te- there's Kyle who can shred anything. But then there are journalists who will just off a stoplight and be like, this is incredible EV acceleration. And it, it's almost dumbing the best things down to the level of everything is fast off the line. That's true. It's electric torque. It's it's natural. But we're going to get to that place where everyone's going to be used to that. And then certain vehicles will shine. Yeah. And I feel like Tycon is kind of already doing that, but some people are not appreciating that enough because to them it's just another EV and they're like, oh, this Tycon's slower than the you know plaid. And it's like, well, it's what are you basing that on? Um right. and people could eventually just get used to certain things. And then it's the little things, like you said, that will start setting it apart. And then there are the people who are like, the plaid is the fastest. Yeah. But I can't tell Tesla what color I want my seatbelts because you can't like exactly make it your own. Um, Of course there's the aftermarket, but it's, it's an interesting time. And yeah, that like, I actually, I regret not trading cars with you because I've actually never driven a Taycan sedan. (laughs) Um, And I think GTS really, you've only driven cross Turismo. Correct. Cross Turismo, sport Turismo are the only ones I've driven. And I feel like a very unique journalist in this world. That would have been the perfect sedan to start on, but it was really cool because you know, like what two days before, I had the RS Etron on Angelus Grass, and I was like, "This is really nice. I like this," and I'm glad I started with that because then I went to GTS Taycan. I was like, "This is yeah." Like Kyle, I, I've told Kyle so many times, it's religious experience. I was like, <laughs> "This is." I haven't had to use to steal Mazda's expression, "Jin by Tai." horse and rider become one i was like i'm just gonna write cheesy poetry about you this. always gotta get a Mazda reference in there but like i mean kind of like calvin's evo the miata is my palate cleanser my mental reset after driving every press car because i'm like okay let me take go back to this front engine rear wheel drive a lot of time to think about it with that acceleration <laughs> yeah yeah i can spend half my day accelerating from zero to 60 and i'd be like this is nice this is good and i don't necessarily feel like i need a super fast car i mean timon was like i need a six-cylinder supra and i was like yeah i like that but i can drive a six-cylinder supra as my job and then i can come back home to my slow thing that gives me peace (laughs) well that's a good place to end it (laughs) (laughs) i'm excited for the future i'll 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 leave it at that i'm excited for the future i mean i agree with you i think uh expect to see more I don't think America is quite ready to talk about actual, like really talk about uh, sustainable manufacturing, but we are, and I'm going to be pushing it this, this year. Um, You know, there's still people that think that EVs are worse than gas cars uh, to the environment. It's just, that's just like patently not true. I mean, especially when you think about uh, uh, life cycle, Um, like I said earlier, I mean, once you make an EV, everything's done. Like that's it. There's no more carbon coming out of that, going into that thing. Um, and if you know where the electricity is coming from, you can track to the molecule CO2. I mean, that's, that's the idea here. So there's two episodes I want to have you back on Calvin for, for more, I would say structured chats, if you will. The first being, um, like a Tycon deep dive, just model line, 
going through, you know, why, and some of the background too. Why did they go 800 volt? You know, right. this was the okay. hardest decision and the most expensive decision. The correct. You want me to do my job basically. Yeah. <laughs> for one of them. But then I, I also do want to talk about sustainable manufacturing and decarbonization and life cycle and recycling, because I think this is something the Germans are really into and have oh, yeah. been into yeah. and the German media gets it. We don't really understand in the U.S., me included, I don't understand 1% of it. I also don't know how we're going to be able to handle full life cycle of vehicles with this dealer network in between corporate goals and then the car being out in the public. And this is something I've been struggling to close the gap on. That's a very, that's a very good topic. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't have the answers, but I mean, that's the, that's the idea here is to uh, have these discussions and figure it out. You know, we're we're in the early stages of this. We're transitioning powertrain philosophies. We're, we're, we're transitioning on how the car is fundamentally used. Like we said earlier, like we're so used to swiping a card and pumping gas. Every The whole network is set up for that. And now we've got a different way of doing things, like especially with plug-in charge. You just plug in and that's it. Like we're not there yet. We're not the whole rest of the country is not there yet. Uh, the majority of the country is not there yet, but there are pockets that are getting there, right? And you guys definitely are helping spread that awareness um, of how it can be. It doesn't have to be, it, you know, everyone's like, oh, I don't want to have to stop all the, all the time. But like Jordan, you mentioned it earlier. I actually think of them as nice rests and good breaks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a, in the motorcycle world, they call them iron butt where you drive or you ride a thousand miles in a day. Yep. Um, and, you know, I'm that type of weight guy in a car. But I also, because of the nature of the range that I get on my cars, I'm used to doing 230 miles stopping, 230 miles and stopping, 230, you know, and guess what? The, that's kind of what you can do in a Taycan. But driving faster, stopping more, you get, you go the same amount of distance in a day, but you're more relaxed and more rested. Well, there's two things on Taycan that help with that. Well, three, maybe. First off, massaging seats rock. Oh, yes. This is the one that we have. So like, yes. you're just like comfortable. Yeah. It's like the best seating no, no, position. Taycan's not fair. Yeah. yeah. As a road tripper, it's not right. fair. Yeah. It is cheating. But then you also have... Uh, you know, sort of short goals and accomplishments in terms of charging stops. Yes. For me, when I drive a gas car, it's, all right, I'm just going to get it down to zero, fill it back up to 100. That was boring. And then go up. This is like, all right, I got to play a little game here. I'm going to go as fast as possible so that I can get to the charger with the least amount of energy. And that's like a fun mental yeah. time. And then also the last thing, which I know you haven't really played into with US much, is InnoDrive rocks. But most journalists will be like, it's not autopilot, so it's not good. So that's what I hear. That's another thing that we, we should talk about. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. I mean, there, you know, that's the problem or or that is one of the issues is everyone expects everything to work exactly the same. And again, it, there's no reason for it to. There should be some product differentiation out of the market to give people uh, other options, to give people to be able to expand the horizons and put keep innovating right i mean tesla did too tesla did the biggest innovation of all right because before tesla what was the def default standard it was an was, i mean it wasn't very good <laughs> so uh you know likewise we want to innovate our our way we have different priorities than other car brands too and if you happen to line up with that then we're the brand but if not that's okay there's so many other great products out there um that you know the world of cars is just so amazing because there's so many different ways you can approach it. You can approach it logically and rationally. You can approach it full of emotion and passion and 
every point in between is totally valid. And there's so many products out there to satisfy every little niche. Every we're little, starting to see this too yeah. now that you can buy EV6 Ionic 5, a great example of wild styling, really cool emotional buy, but then a really solid car underneath right. and uh, really well engineered, I think. So a lot of cool stuff coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. And we will definitely have to have you back because there's <laughs> obviously a lot of discussion and every one of these conversations is, I think, really important for a lot of people to hear because we're starting to normalize the aspect of electric ownership. Right. So thank I'm here you. for it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining Cheers, us. guys. Thanks for having me on. And thanks everyone for joining in. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.